You can have a seat. Well, good morning. My name is Josh. I'm the pastor here. It's good to be with you. If you're uh, visiting with us or you weren't here last week, uh, you'll notice that we are in a different room than we normally are. Normally, we're meeting across the hallway there in the auditorium, but uh, just for the summertime, we're kind of experimenting with uh, little cozier family-style gatherings, and one of the the, uh, the truths that I, I have felt heavily on my heart, the, especially the last couple of weeks, is that everything exists in service to relationships. We're, uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit this, uh, this Sunday in the sermon, but also where we meet is in service of relationships. And so, because we're uh, small right now, and we believe heavily that uh, church is about relationships with God and with each other. That's why we're meeting here. Uh, so if it's cozy, uh, just enjoy it, and then we'll see if we move back in there. It's also Family Sunday, so if you showed up looking for a break from your kiddos, sorry about that. But on the first Sunday when we're celebrating communion, and then also just to give our, all our kids' volunteers a break, we meet all together. Uh, and so it's always a little uh, noisy, and that's okay. You need to step out, step back in. It's fine if your kid makes any noise. That's okay. We love kids, so don't feel too, too embarrassed. Well, I needed to say that because my kid's going to be the noisiest, I'm sure. <laughs> well, have you guys ever heard or experienced the feeling of being hangry? It's where you're so hungry that it gets emotional, and you have this low-grade anger in everything you do and say. Camille and I, early on in our marriage, were finding that we would get in a lot of fights right before dinner, <laughs> and we learned to just table it until we had eaten. And in uh, me in particular, more so than Camille, um, I, I, I in the past have struggled with hanger a lot, being hungry, angry. And food in general, really, uh, was, was kind of a difficult thing for me, uh, and, and it's kind of a delicate subject in our marriage. Uh, I was pretty chubby when we got married. Uh, I had uh, come from a good Christian family that didn't drink, cuss, or smoke, but we ate our feelings. So we wouldn't drink, but we would you know, eat a whole pizza each or something ridiculous. And then Camille, she came from this, this strange combo of a dad who uh, was super tan and ripped but would eat like a half gallon of ice cream for lunch, and then a mom who tried to control emotional and relational things through cleanses and special diets and stuff like that. So food was tricky. We both came from these different families with our different baggage, in, particular, in particularly relating to food. And for me, I felt really stuck because it seemed like when I was eating healthy, I was hangry a lot. <laughs> and so I felt a lot of despair. It was like, I either can be healthy and, you know, care, love my wife well by taking care of my body, which is, I think, husbands and wives, that's the way we love our spouses. We take care of our bodies. But if I do that, then I'm always feel deprived and a little bit hangry. Or I could be satisfied and chubby and uh, not really loving my wife with how I cared for my, my body. Uh, and so there, were, and then there were seasons in our marriage where things were hard, and so we'd eat our feelings. It was like pizza and ice cream time, which, of course, an onslaught of sugar and carbs only makes things more emotional. And uh, all that to say, this is kind of like my food testimony, if you will. God's been good to grow us in our relationship with food uh, and each other. And about two years ago, we kind of stumbled across a food lifestyle that's been healthy and satisfying, which is nice. And the reason I bring this up, this is not to advertise a diet or anything else, but it's, to, it's just to testify that in making some food changes in my life, in our life together, has, has brought benefit way beyond just weight loss or physical health. 
Our, we, we've, we've seen fruit in our emotions being more stable. We have more energy for relationships and for each other. I personally, my relationship with God, I have seen changed uh, and, and deepened to a, a deeper level emotionally because that whole pattern of getting hangry and eating my feelings is, is starting to change from that being a coping mechanism uh, to instead of emoting with food, I, I emote with God. This simple decision in the area of eating has had incredible spiritual benefits and relational benefits. Everything exists in service to relationships. And, and, I, and I also share my little backstory because I know that food is very sensitive. It's a very sensitive topic. Uh, you wouldn't think it is. It's something we do multiple times a day. But all kinds of things are tied up in food. Uh, and so um, I just want to give you uh, freedom to feel uncomfortable and to wrestle with it and just ask you to be uh, curious on what emotions come up as we talk about food. And Jesus, we see in our sermon text, he talks about fasting. And we, as we've seen all throughout the Sermon on the Mount, this passage in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus is getting at our whole person. Right before this in chapter 5, he says, Therefore be whole or complete like your heavenly Father is whole or complete. What he's saying is that human flourishing means to be whole people. So to think that you can have great faith, great spiritual life, great self-control in one area, but not have self-control towards food just isn't true. Because how we relate is how we relate. A ministry leader in my college years, he would always tell us guys before we left for Christmas break, said, if you eat too much, you are probably going to look at porn. Like if you splurge in one area, you're probably going to not have self-control in another area. So how we relate is how we relate. And so today we're going to look at food and fasting, how our physical bodies relate to our spiritual realities. So I have two main ideas here. Uh, the first one is that the physical is directly connected to the spiritual. The physical is directly connected to the spiritual, or you could say that the other way. Spiritual is directly connected to the physical. And then the second main point is that the point of fasting is to create space to feast on God. The point of fasting is to create space to feast on God. Fasting is a huge topic. We're not going to hit it all today. But just for a working understanding of fasting, we'll say that it's abstaining from food in some form in order to receive from God. It's putting off in order to receive, creating space to receive from God. You guys are in luck. I got two Sundays in a row where all my sermon points start with the same letter. I got three R's for you. Reason, reality, and reward of fasting. So look at our sermon text, verse 16, looking at the reason to fast. Jesus says, When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. Let's stop there. Important context for the Sermon on the Mount is that it's to Jesus' followers. Jesus is giving this sermon, this three-chapter sermon, to his disciples, to people who have said, yes, I belong to Jesus. Jesus is the Lord of my life. And he's taking it for granted that they're already in a regular rhythm of fasting. He doesn't say, if you fast, do it like this. He says, when you fast, do it like this. You're already fasting. My disciples fast. So let's talk about how we do it. 
And if you look uh, in uh, chapter 9, verses 14 and 15, uh, which if you want to follow along in your pew Bible, that's on page 1510, I think. Oh, no, 1509. I was close. Jesus talks about fasting again, and I think he shows us the relational paradigm in this passage. Uh, Chapter 9, verses 14 and 15. Then John's disciples came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Hmm. Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. Then they will fast. Just a really beautiful tension that we see here. Who has said Jesus' disciples fast, and now Jesus is asked, why don't your disciples fast? But what we see here in this passage is the both-and aspect of Jesus' life and mission, his teaching. Because one thing I love about Jesus is that homeboy loved to feast. He loved a good party. He loved getting together with a lot of food. His first miracle was at a wedding after everybody drank a lot of wine, and then he makes more, better wine. We should name our church More Better Wine Church, because that's how Jesus rolls. He loves a party, so he's not an ascetic that doesn't want us to have fun or enjoy anything. But this was confusing because of this rhythm of fasting. And when he's asked, why don't your disciples fast? He essentially says, because I'm here, because the party is here. Jesus shows us, this is so important, that fasting is directly connected to the presence of God. Fasting is directly connected to the presence of God. When Jesus was with his disciples on the earth, they didn't fast because the party was here. Jesus is the party. But then he says, when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, then they will, then they will fast. Do you see the relational dynamic of fasting? That fasting comes and goes with the presence of God. When Jesus, the bridegroom, the ultimate reason to party is here, we rejoice and we celebrate. And in the gospel, we already have this. We, all, we can already know Jesus as our King and Savior in part. And so as Christians, we feast. We can be a celebrating people. We can be people that throw good parties and invite friends into them. Because we have one of the best reasons to be joyful. But we're not fully there in that reality, are we? We still have brokenness. We still experience evil coming at us and coming from within us. And we have broken relationships. And there's an element where we're not fully with God yet. Even though we're his children, even though we're justified. Which is why the Christian life has both feasting and fasting. We celebrate the already and that we are already God's children. We already have Jesus and can party, but we're not yet fully there. And so we also fast, looking forward to the day when we will be fully with God. Fast us, fasting shows us this reality, this already not yet. Because we fast, but then unless we want to die, we need to eat again. And so we eat again. And so we have the both and. We fast and we feel the longing for God's presence. And then we break our fast and we celebrate the fact that we've already experienced the good life with God, at least in part. Fasting is deeply relational. The point of fasting, like everything, is to be in service of relationships, specifically with our relationship with God. 
And when done correctly, when done according to Jesus' model, it's directly connected to our relationship with, with our Father. So the reason we fast is to feast on God. It shows us the already, the not yet, and we feast on God. Now the reality of fasting points us to the truth that the physical and the spiritual are inseparable. The physical and the spiritual are inseparable. And this is super hard for our culture because we live in a pretty divided, a pretty compartmentalized society. We think of sacred spiritual things over here, and then we think of secular non-spiritual things over here. But that's largely a, a new separation. That separation is not in Scripture, I don't think. Because we saw in chapter 5, when we talked about heart burgers, Jesus, he gives us all this teaching. And it's just so brilliant because he shows us that the spiritual aspect of the heart, and he shows us the physical, bodily aspect of what we do, how we behave. And both of them are connected. And so I put one of the heart burgers in your bulletin. I think it made it in there, in your notes section. A little picture of a hamburger. Shout out to Brandon, making the bulletin worship folder booklet. Give him a hug later. But I put this, in, put this heart burger in there because I think we see Jesus gets at the connection between a, a physical action and how that shapes, how that shapes our heart. So look over in, in Matthew chapter 5. Let me read that part real quick. Verses 27 through 30. If you're following along in the Pew Bible, it's on page 1502. Jesus says, You have heard it said, Do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, because it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. So you see uh, this three-part teaching that Jesus does, where he starts with an action, don't commit adultery. Then he gets to the heart where he says, if you're lusting, then in your heart you've already done this, the same thing that physical adultery is. And then he gets at some physical commands, some physical things that we can do to address that. It's not enough just to deal with the physical behavior. Like it, I mean, it is a win to not commit adultery. We're pro not committing adultery. But it's not enough if our hearts are full of lust. Because lust ultimately, ultimately is a lack of satisfaction in our souls. So if we manage to white-knuckle our behavior while our souls are ravenous for satisfaction, it's not much of a win. That doesn't sound like the wholeness that Jesus is calling us to in human flourishing. Lust is a black void that just craves anything to fill it. Where Jesus says, I came to give you life and life to the full. And then he brings it out of the heart and back into the physical. We have the physical, don't commit adultery. And then he says, look at your heart. Is it lacking satisfaction? Is it lustful? Then he he says, do you want to address the heart? Do you want to have a heart that is satisfied in God? Do you want to prevent against lust? Then cut stuff out of your life that would cause you to sin. Cut, Cut it out and create space for satisfaction in God. He says, be thrown into hell. Hell is... The, the lack of the presence of God is being cut off from God forever. And so it's, it's better to do without, this is not literal, not cutting off arms or anything today, 
But Jesus is showing that it's better to do without in order to get God. Jesus is showing that to be satisfied in God, we need sometimes not to add things. We don't need a new Bible study or a new church or a new anything. Sometimes we need less stuff so that God can enter into our hearts. It's like if you're, uh, you're, thirst, you're thirsty, and the only way to get water is, th- is to have a bucket and catch fresh rainwater. So your bucket better be empty and clean so you can receive the fresh water to quench your thirst. If it's full of dirt or gasoline or something like that, then you're not going to quench your thirst. So there's an there's a emptying. We don't need to add more stuff to our bucket. We need to create space so that we can receive the rain. That cutting stuff out is, is at the, the heart of fasting. Cutting stuff out to get satisfaction is at the heart of fasting. And so fasting in terms of food is cutting something out in the, in the sense you're, you're actually bringing that feeling of the void in our souls down a little bit into our stomachs. You're actually bringing that feeling of emptiness, that neediness, that dependency to the forefront so that our, our hearts and minds are turned towards God by our bodies. Do you see what I'm saying? That when we fast, we voluntarily do without food and we feel the pangs of hunger in our bodies, it turns our hearts and our minds towards God and the truth that only he can satisfy. John Piper, uh, an- another pastor, says the two H's of fasting are helplessness and hope. So fasting reminds us that in our overfed culture that we are, in fact, helpless and dependent on nutrients to stay alive. We're dependent on God for food. And it turns our hearts that our hope for satisfaction is not in any food or money or any sexual gratification, but on God himself. And this is very important because we live in a feasting culture, period. In our current time in human history, in our particular country, in our particular Midwestern food culture, we are feasting all the time. We are all about feasting. The most basic meals we have today would have been considered incredible feast of kings throughout most of human history. Grain, for example, did you know historically was a relatively rare thing because they required an incredible amount of work to grow it, to harvest it, to till the ground, to process it into bread or pasta or whatever. But now that's on the bottom of our food pyramid, God help us. And so in, in a culture of such plenty, the idea of longing. The idea of doing without, of feeling hunger, is very foreign to us. But I think we see in Scripture that waiting for satisfaction is one of the key realities of the Christian life. Waiting for the not yet. We're satisfied in part in our relationship with God as his children. And then we wait in the gap, in the the not yet fully realized parts for full satisfaction in God. So fasting, I think, is this incredibly powerful practice that we can do physically with our bodies to get to this spiritual reality, is that our souls are longing for perfect union with God, and in Christ that someday will happen. Christians, as the people of God, we are awaiting people. We take all of life and we ask, how can this build up my relationship with God and my relationship with others? We wait 
and we work to build up relationships. This fasting shows us the reality that Jesus is Lord over all of that. He's Lord over our whole lives. This is another reality of fasting, is that Jesus is Lord over our food. Most of us, if we've grown up in church, we don't uh, squirm too much at the idea of Jesus as Lord, at least theoretically. But just the nature of the human heart, we all do this, is that we're, we typically have areas in our heart where we're really good or we're comfortable with Jesus being in charge of. But then we always have one or two or six that we keep back and say, but don't touch this. So maybe we're really dutiful people and we will work hard in the church, but you better not touch my food. Maybe we're really smart and we'll read lots of good theology books, but you better not make me actually talk to people. That's messy. Or maybe we're just great people, 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 persons, and we're hospitable and we'll reach out to people, but you better not have any say about my sexuality. I won't give my money, but I'll do stuff for you, God. Or leave me alone, God, here's a check. You see how the human heart, we, we all have these different areas where we'll, We'll be all about it in one area, but we just keep something back. So I think we see in Jesus' teaching on fasting that how we interact with food, how our physical health is, at least the part that we can steward. Of course, there's parts of illness and stuff that we, we just don't have control over. But we, we proclaim Jesus' lordship and how we interact with food and how our physical health is. We proclaim the gospel, the good news that we are experiencing life with God under his rule and how we proclaim that with our bodies, with our relationship to food. Flip over a page, Matthew 4, 23. Last time I preached this, people got mad, but we'll try it again. Matthew 4, 23. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. When we were preaching through Matthew, this was a while ago, we were in this chapter, but it was just so striking that Jesus, he's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, that we can now have relationship with God under his rule, and then he's, feeling, he's healing physical sickness, physical diseases. One of the ways that Jesus proclaims the kingdom is through physical health. Because the life with God under his rule looks like healing and wholeness. Why would he do that? Why? Because he's Lord over all, even their physical existence. The, the abundant life that Jesus came to give us, the life to the full that he says he came to give us in John 10, it applies to all of our life. Our whole person, including our bodies, including our food. And this practice of fasting is something we do to proclaim this truth to ourselves. That we're dependent on God, that our physical health Im impacts us spiritually, and that Jesus is Lord over our food. And this gives the Holy Spirit space to grow us in self-control. And to receive the reward, which is the last R. The reward of fasting. Look at verses 17, Matthew 6, verses 17 and 18. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face that, so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. 
and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. I love that he talks about the reward, that this is not fasting for fasting's sake. This is not fasting to pay penance for sin and feel the hurt. He says, I know fasts motivated to get a reward. What is the reward? The short answer is God himself. We fast from food to feast on God. The point is not fasting for fasting's sake. The point is not to get others to think you're super spiritual and holy. I don't know if that has any cultural traction now because uh, fasting's so so obscure, but we don't fast for other people. We don't fast for ourselves to make ourselves feel good. And there is, this is a crucial distinction, there is a non-Christian way to fast. There's a way to fast wrong that's contrary to the gospel. And that's fasting in order to try to please God or to get God's attention or to add some extra oomph to a prayer for something, to really get his attention and to make sure I have a best chance of getting a yes to this prayer request. I'm not going to eat. But that's not the reward of a father that already loves us perfectly in Christ. That's, that's some religious manipulation. We're trying to jostle with God through our fasting. The re reward of the Father is that we're creating space to feast on his presence. We don't fast to get God's attention. We fast because we already have it. We don't fast to get God to like us. We fast because he already delights in us and delights to give us good things. So if you, ha if you have a Bible, uh, there should be one on the pew, flip over to the Psalms. Because I really want us to see that this is not just me. This is the satisfaction language. is not something that I'm putting on with my millennial lens or something like that. Uh, we're going to look at three different Psalms briefly. Uh, and, I, and I want us to just chew on what this language of, uh, of satisfaction. The first one, page 854, is Psalm 16. We're just going to look at one verse out of this. Talking about the reward of fasting, which is God himself. And look at how the psalmist talks about experiencing God. He says, you have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. In the presence of God... We have joy and eternal pleasure is at his right hand. Next, page 871 in the Pew Bible, Psalm 34, verse 8. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. We have scripture literally saying, taste God. <laughs> taste that he's good. Experience his goodness. And then the last one, page 899, Psalm 63. We read this for a call to worship, but it's just a really fun one. Just look at verses 1 through 5. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirst for you, 
My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. Do you, do you see the, the, the feasting on God that the psalmist displays for us here? Through fasting from food, we enter into a practice where experiencing these pleasures forevermore, where we can taste and see that God is good and our souls can be satisfied as with fat and rich food. When we fast, we experience the pain of hunger physically. We let draw our hearts and our minds and our bodies to God. And we say, you alone can satisfy me, God. We don't fast to get God to like us. We don't fast to get others to be impressed with our spirituality. We fast because in Christ, through his life, death, and resurrection, our sins have been washed away, and we can now live life with God, the source of all goodness and pleasure. So we fast to get more of God, to get satisfaction. We fast to wean our bodies off of the perpetual state of feasting that we kind of have come to expect in this culture and just create space to be with God. And listen, y'all, I love food. And one of the beautiful, most beautiful things about fasting is breaking it. By no means are we saying we're going to fast for forever. Because when, when we regularly fast, the simple joys of eating become so much more vivid. The eating that we take for granted, that we expect or we go to with our emotions, now gets drenched with this renewed gratitude that it's a gift from our Father who loves us. Because we see Him provide the goodness of food and provide for our physical needs. When we fast, the receiving our daily bread from God is drenched with a renewed gratitude. We see that God is our Father, and he provides for us. And we can enjoy it all the more. The, the fasting and feasting idea I love, maybe because I'm an extreme person, uh, whereas we're not just like eating porridge constantly, but no, we're doing without, and then we're enjoying our food. We're enjoying our food to the glory of God because it points to his goodness. Now, there are many ways and ways to fast, different methods, a lot that we could talk about practically, but I want us to just take an, uh, an obvious action step here and fast together. Now, there are ways of fasting alone, but we also see in Scripture that there's ways for corporate fasting where a group of God's people would fast together. And because I think this might be new for a lot of us, I think processing it in our connecting groups would be healthy. So, I invite you all to do a 24-hour fast leading up to your connecting group uh, that we'll meet this week. Uh, what that means is if you're in the Tuesday night group, eat dinner Monday night and then just wait until dinner on Tuesday when you have food with your connecting group. And likewise, if you meet on Wednesday, then eat dinner Tuesday and just wait 24 hours to dinner the next night at Wednesday and break it with your, with your connecting group. I'd encourage you to do a, a water fast uh, when you try to like replace it with juice and stuff it can sometimes make it harder when it spikes your blood sugar and stuff and uh, and because it's just a 24-hour fast i encourage you to just drink lots and lots of water 
Uh, and if you're breastfeeding or you're pregnant, um, you, know, you just might not be able to fast in this season or maybe eat something simple for 24 hours. Uh, it's, you know, there's seasons of life. It's okay. And if you know, this just sounds like blasphemy because you haven't missed a snack or a meal in 37 years, uh, maybe just try skipping lunch on the day of your connecting group uh, and, and just start, start with that baby step. But I think most of us, the majority of us, we, can, we could pull off a 24-hour fast. And listen, if you don't want to, if you're mad at me right now because I've stepped on your toes, you don't want to fast, like, it's okay. You don't, have to, you don't have to prove your case. Just don't fast. Like, it's a, you don't have to do it. Uh, you, don't, you don't have to co- come at me with your reasons. But just, I would ask you to consider the feels, consider the emotions that come with the thought of fasting or the thought of a pastor saying, hey, don't eat on this day or, or wh- whatever it is. Just consider why do I feel the way that I do? What, what is my relationship between food and my body like, and how, how might that influence my relationship with God and others? And in, in the space, if you do the, do the fast with us, in that space that you w- would have been eating or cooking, uh, you can spend some extra time with God. I'd encourage you to read Psalm 63 a few times. Uh, and just sit with it, pray, pray those words back to God. That's the one that talks about our souls being satisfied with fat and rich food. It's becoming my life verse, I think. And listen to what God says in your hunger and your emptiness. Pray that he'd use this fasting to help you taste and see that he's good. We read it in our liturgy, but there's a time when we as God's people will never fast ever again. There's a time where we will feast forever in the presence of God, on the presence of God, as we're made new, we're united with him in his kingdom forever. There'll be no more hunger, no thirst, nor pain, nor tears. And as we fast, we look forward to that day with longing. Lord, haste the day. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for the gift it is to read your word and be able to see how you designed life to work and how you enter into our brokenness and call us into the light, good life with you. And You enter into our brokenness regarding food and our bodies and our physical health, and you call us to, to instead be satisfied by you, to see all food is coming from you, and to fast from it so that we can feast on you. Father, in the, the name of Jesus, I pray that your spirit would come and, and convict us regarding food and health, where there's conviction necessary. I pray that you would, uh, you would just bring wisdom, that no one would feel pressure or burden, but instead an invitation to feast on you through fasting. I pray, Father, if this is the first time that it's been talked about in church or it's kind of a new area to bring into our spiritual lives, that you would just cover us with grace and understanding and patience. We know that soul work is slow work, so give us patience to see what you might be doing in this realm of our physical health. And I pray, Father, that we might be able to look back a year and two, five years from now and see, uh, see the spiritual dividends that you've done through your, your work in us uh, physically as we seek to honor you with our bodies steward the bodies that you've given us, and get more of you. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.